Before we get started this morning, let me pray for us as we look to God's Word. Fathers, we've confessed earlier um, we are vessels of clay, marred, weighed down by our own sin oftentimes, and our only hope is you. So, Father, we welcome you to do your good work here. Holy Spirit, open our minds, our hearts to hear your word. Father, I pray that you would, by your grace and your power, speak your word to the um, man with feet of clay and ask that your name would be honored this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, at the risk of receiving um, a really hard time from Aaron Shelnut and Josh Miniman, I have to confess that one of my favorite movies is Les Miserables. I don't know if y'all have seen that movie. Has anybody either read Victor Hugo's novel or seen the 1998 version of uh, Les Miserables by Lynn Nielsen? But um, that, that book and later that movie is a great picture <clears throat> of the gospel of grace, in my opinion. Oftentimes, Hollywood gets things... Um, they can get to the heart of matters often better than, than we as believers. Um, and in this book and in this movie, the movie is about a man named Jean Valjean, uh, or Valjean, and he's a Frenchman, obviously. He's, um, uh, he was convicted of uh, stealing and was sent to the mines, the quarries, um, to experience really hell on earth for 20 years and longed. To, to get out, and finally is uh, escapes and makes his way. He's trying to get away, makes his way to freedom, and in and in his travel comes across a bishop, the bishop dean, and um, this bishop welcomes him into his home, gives him food, gives him a bed to sleep in at night, and during the middle of the night, um, Valjean wakes up, goes into um, the pantry gets the silverware and puts it in a bag. He's going to steal it and get away. During that time, he's caught by the bishop. The bishop is, awakens, comes to the kitchen to see what he's doing. Valjean assaults him, knocks him out, and flees. Well, during the night, he's captured by the police, the local constable, brought back to the bishop's home the next morning. And in that time, uh, they're bringing him in to, to make identification, return the, the stolen goods, and return Jean Valjean to uh, to prison to spend the rest of his life. It was a great, it's a great clip if you ever watch this. Because as they bring Valjean back to the bishop, and they said, "Sir, we believe that you may know this man. Uh, we caught him, and we believe he has your silverware, and he gave us a story that you had given it to him. Obviously, that's wrong." And the bishop, as he walks and says, Valjean, I'm very disappointed with you. I'm very angry with you. And yet, over the next couple of minutes, he does not turn him in to the police. He says, Valjean, you forgot to take the candlesticks, the silver candlesticks that are more valuable than the silver you took. I'm very disappointed in you. And Valjean doesn't know what to think. He says, I'm free? And they release the handcuffs. The police leave. And here's what 
the bishop says to Jean Valjean. says, Jean Valjean, my brother, you are no longer belong to evil but to good. With this silver, with this grace, with this mercy, I have bought your soul. Now obviously, we understand that the priest cannot buy his soul. But get the picture of grace here. I have ransomed you from fear and hatred, and now I'll give you back to God. This act of grace, this act of mercy by the bishop, who at personal cost and personal injury has extended grace and mercy to this prisoner, who before meeting the bishop had lived his life for himself at great suffering and great cost to himself. And yet he experiences grace. And, that, and in the book and in the movie, it, it shows a life that's been transformed by the mercy of God through the bishop. And then from that point on, it wasn't just an outward conversion. It wasn't just a, um, a baptism. But it was a transformation of the heart, a transformation of the life. From that point on, Jean Valjean gave his life away in a life of generosity. He helped build schools. He, he ended up making a device that helped pull a, a business together. He, he bought the business. Uh, it became very prosperous. He became the wealthiest man in the small city that he lived in. And he built schools. And he built a dispensary for the poor. And he built hospitals. And he became a protector of those who were on the fringes. What a great picture of grace and mercy. Hugo gives us this picture of the gospel of Christ and the corresponding change that it produces in our life. And that's really the heart of our vision for Grace Fellowship, isn't it? Our vision would be that we'd be so changed by the grace, the generosity of God, that we would seek to help others experience that same relationship with Him, that we would live a life of generosity, to live a generous life. And as we move from that picture of grace, that vision of being a community of grace-centered, gospel-centered believers committed to reaching the least and the loss of this county and this world to Christ. And as we do that, how would that flesh itself out? It would flesh itself out in generous worship as we come before the Lord and we make His name great and we proclaim His majesty. Generous worship is what we're experiencing this morning. We pray that as a mission of our church, we would have generous relationships that would so experience the gospel in our own life that we would think it, we would live it out, and it would change how we relate to one another within community, within the body of Christ and elsewhere. We believe that as a body, if we experience the grace of God, then we'd be very intentional on how to equip and prepare the members of our church to be conduits of God's grace, to be ministers of the gospel in its various forms. And then, lastly, that as a result of understanding and tasting and experiencing the grace and mercy of God through a relationship with His Son and the power of the Holy Spirit, that would lead us to generous living and giving. That we would give our lives away in mercy toward others, in service toward others, in telling others about our great King, in stewardship or managing the resources, the time, talent, and treasure that He has given us for His glory so that God's name would be made great in Chilton County 
and throughout the world because of what he is doing at Grace Fellowship. That's our heart and that's our vision for this church. And over the next couple of weeks, we will be talking today and next week about what it looks like to have generous lives and then generous giving. So what principles draw us? What principles drive us toward this generous living of the gospel out in our lives? There's going to be four principles. The first principle is that we have to understand, first and foremost, that God owns everything. The air you breathe, the chair you're sitting on, the clothes on your back, the very life that you have, God owns it. He owns it. And you've heard me use this illustration before, but I think it helps drive to the point of the majesty and the power and the grace of God. So we understand the the magnificence of the gospel of grace as it's applied to us. We understand how incredibly large and and majestic God is. And you've heard my illustration on this even a few weeks ago. If If we look at our universe, the vastness of our universe... The distance between the earth and the sun is 93 million miles. If that 93 million miles was represented by the thickness of this piece of paper, okay? Kids, how thick is that paper? Not very thick, right? Zach loves to make little paper airplanes out of this. It's so thin that it flies. If you were to stack, and and this thickness represents 93 million miles, Guess how, how many sheets of paper would you need to get to the next star in our galaxy? Seventy feet high. A stack of papers, 70 feet high, just to cover the distance to our next star. How about to get to the end of our, our galaxy, of our own galaxy? 300 miles of paper stacked on top of each other, each representing 93 million miles. It would take 300 miles of paper just to get to the end of our own galaxy. And there are billions of galaxies in our universe. Wow. I can't fathom that. And yet here's what God's Word says about our Savior in Colossians 1, 16 and 17. says, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him what? All things hold together. Hebrews 1.3 says, He holds all things together by the Word, by the power of His Word. In other words, by His pinky, Jesus holds the whole universe together. The atoms in your mind and your body are held together by the power of Christ. That's how big, how powerful our God is. In Psalms 89, 11 and 12, it says, The heavens are yours. Earth is also yours. The world and all that is in it is yours, O Lord. Wow, He owns it all. Do we really believe that? Or does Neil think, no, 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 he owns most of it. But I own that little block down the road that everybody knows because it's so junky. That's the block I own. No, he owns that. He owns the car I drive. He owns the clothes on my back. He owns the air that I breathe. 
He owns it. I don't own anything. Anything I have has been given by him, by his grace and his generosity toward me. So we have to understand that God's wealth and resources are beyond comprehension and that he owns everything that we have, everything beyond what we have. First principle. The second principle is it's one thing to own everything. Because I know a lot of folks who own a lot of stuff and they're incredibly greedy and stingy. Yet our king is incredibly generous beyond anything that we can understand. God is incredibly generous and he calls us to be like himself. He, does, he shows his generosity toward all of mankind through his common grace. In Acts 17, 24 and 25, it says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So God is not only gracious and generous toward his people, but he's gracious and generous even toward his enemies. What an incredible heart of God. What an incredible God we serve. But not only is he generous toward those who are his enemies, including ISIS, including those who profane the name of God, even those who reject him completely, he is still generous to them through his common grace because they deserve death immediately to be wiped out. And yet he allows them to have more life and he postpones his judgment because of his generosity. Wow, what a great Savior we have. But not only is he generous toward those, his enemies, but he's also generous toward his own people that he has called to himself. In 2 Corinthians 8 9 it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Isn't that incredible? What a mystery that is, that the God who has vast resources became poor so that you and I who have no resources become rich through Him. He is a generous God and worthy to be praised by us. In Ephesians, one of my favorite passages of all Scripture, Ephesians 2, 4 through 8. And we can't understand this, this passage unless we understand the first two verses of Ephesians 2 when it says, you and I followed after the prince of the power of the air, we, we, every, everything in us drove us to satisfy the lust of our flesh and the desires of our heart. We were by nature children of wrath. That is what we deserved. We are children of wrath before a holy God. And yet verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his, because of his great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our, in our transgressions, he made us alive together in Christ. By grace you've been saved. And he raises us with, up with him, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What? So that in the ages to come he might show what? His surpassing riches. That he would give us a glimpse of the incredible riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. The incredible generosity of God. That not only is our God powerful, but He's generous. Third principle. 
We are his children and stewards of his and of the resources that he's given us. We don't own it, but as his children, we are called to be stewards, to be managers of the things he has allowed us to have. And we too are to be generous in how we exercise those gifts in all its varied ways. We are to be managers and stewards of our time. Because he owns that too. He owns our time. In Psalm 139.16 it says, Your eyes saw my informed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to pass. God has given you and I a finite amount of time to live here on this earth. It belongs to him. And we are accountable in how we use that time. Ephesians, Paul tells us in Ephesians, says, be careful how you live your life. Make the most of your time. Make the most of your opportunities. And if we understand that, Lord, you've given me so many minutes, so many hours in a day, and they belong to you. So, Lord, how do I live, how do I manage those minutes and those hours in order to maximize your glory Wherever you lead me. Now, I'm not saying just be you know, legalistic and say, oh my gosh, you know, he's generous. He's not an ogre. He's generous toward us. And he gives us freedom. Yet we are responsible as being good stewards of the time that he has given us to redeem that time and make the most of it. So how are we living our time? How are we using our time for his glory? He gives us talent. Psalms 139 says, You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Ephesians 2.10 You are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that He's prepared beforehand for us to walk in them. So He's created you and I. He's designed us. He's given us a unique design, different than anyone else on the planet. Why does He do that? He gives us talents and abilities and gifts in order for us to live out, to execute on the good works that he has planned for us, that he has already, he's already planned them. We simply have to walk in them. That's an amazing thing, so that when you get up in the morning, there is absolutely no excuse for boredom. There's absolutely no excuse for feeling insignificant. There's absolutely no excuse for going, well, my day doesn't really matter, because every day we get up, God has has created us, has put the events in our life, has molded us and shaped us in order to be a conduit of His grace, to walk in the works that He's already prepared beforehand. And His works are majestic in you. Every single one of you. We exercise His grace differently. We execute it differently. It looks different for each one of our households. And that's great. But that's what he's called us to do, to give our lives away, participate in the works that he's called us to do, to live generously with our time, live generously with our talents, and then live generously with our treasure, with our treasure. In First Chronicles 29 and 12, it says, Both wealth and honor come from you. And you rule over all. So our time is given to us by God. We're stewards. 
our talents are given to us by God. Both the natural talents that we have and the, and the spiritual gifts that he has given to us are owned and by God we are stewards of those things. And then our treasure, what we own, what he has given to us. And some, whether it be a lot or a little, we are stewards over that. And we are to use that for his glory and for his namesake. So as we see our great king, who owns everything, who controls everything, knowing that he's generous, he's called us to be generous, and stewards of the things that he has placed in our lives. And the incredible thing is, the result of that, and it's a paradox of the kingdom of God, is this. We get in order to give. And as we give, we get even more. Isn't that crazy? I wish my finances worked like that. I guess they do. But we get in order to give. And as we give, he gives us more. So that what? We can be more generous. We're not a bank. We're an investment center for us to take the resources that he's given us and make stuff happen for his namesake. What an incredible truth that we can walk in. It's the great paradox. In Genesis 12, 2, 2 and 3, it says, He's talking to Abraham, and he's saying, Abraham, I'm calling you out of all the men of the planet. I'm calling you out to be mine. And he says this, and I will, make your, I will make you a great nation. He says, I will make your name great. I'll make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that, those, so that you will be a blessing. Again, we get to give. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you a great nation. Why? So that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will, I will curse. And in you, what? All the families of the earth will be blessed. We get to give. We get in order to give. Matthew 10, 38 and 39, it says, And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life or seeks his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will find it. The great paradox that if I try to hoard, guess what? I lose it. But if I give it away, I find it. It's crazy. God is a crazy God. So are you trying to hold on to your life? Hold on to your stuff? Try to keep it. How much worry, how much emotional energy do you spend every single day hoarding? I can't lose it. It's hard to play God, isn't it? It's hard. But we, we keep our little, our little part of the universe, and yet it's like air and it vaporizes, and we lose everything. And the great paradox, give your life away, and you will find it. You will be filled more than you would ever imagine. In Luke 6, 38, it says, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together. Running over. Will be put into your lap. 
For with the measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. Wow. You get in order to get both time, talents, and treasure. And as you give, you get more. This is not a prosperity gospel. God is not a slot machine where you put the quarter in the thing, pull the hammer back, and, okay, God, bless me. I've done my duty, so you owe me. It is not that. It is a radical generosity of our lives so that every day our life is not our own. It has been bought with a price, a dear, expensive price in order to be given away freely so that we may gain everything, both not only in heaven but here. One of the principles is if you've, if you've lost father, brother, sister, mother, homes, lands, I will give you those a hundred times more. Because why? He owns it all. And he's generous. And he wants to make his name great. So as he gives, give it away. So that we can always point to him and say, may your name be honored at Grace Fellowship. May your name be honored in Chilton County because this does not make sense. Does not make sense. But that others would be enamored by you because of what they see in us, flawed men and women of clay who were broken, yet God completes so that we can point to him and make his name great. So that he can be and sit in the, in the throne in which he deserves. Wow. So the application for us. One, this applies to everyone. It doesn't matter if you're young, old, rich, or poor. These principles apply to you and me alike. They, they, they are expressed differently. But you may be like me and go, well, gosh, you know, I don't have as many resources as you know, this guy over here or this gal over here. doesn't matter. It applies to you. Whether you have little, you're perceived having little or perceived having much. It applies to you and I. We get to give, we give, and as we give, we get more. Second application. If your life is your life, is my life, we have to have self-evaluation here. Is it marked by radical generosity? Or is it, or is it marked by hoarding? And a thriftiness penny pincher do I have a heart an abundant heart do I serve a God of abundance or do I have a short sighted perspective of poverty in everything that I do again please don't this is not help what prosperity this is radical giving of our lives and our resources to the king This is not motivated by shame or guilt. It should be motivated by an incredible gratitude of what God has done for us. Third thing, an application. In 2017, how are you going to seek to make God's name great? In your home? How are you going to do it in your neighborhood? How are you going to do it in Grace Fellowship? How are you going to do it in your workplace? How are you going to make God great, God's name great? To majesty? To... to um, to magnify his name, to honor his name. We don't make him great. He's already great. We're simply pointing the light to him. 
pointing people to Him. Some ways to do that. Assess your gifts and your passions. God, what are some of the things that you've given to me? And how do I use those for your namesake? Open your eyes to the needs of those around you. So, so often, my eyes are so tunnel vision that I can only see, well, how does this affect Neil and the Vincents? When my eyes should be, God, today, help my eyes to be open so that I would see what you're doing around me and that I would engage in what you're doing. Give me eyes to see. Now, not every need has your mind or your name on it, okay? So there's a difference. We're stewards. Being stewards means we're responsible. We don't go chasing after every need. We simply say, God, I don't know if, your name, if my name's on this need, but Lord, give me wisdom to know if it is. How do I, how do I make your name great here? Thirdly, listen to the Holy Spirit. I don't know if I know how to do that very well. But tune your heart through communion with Him, through talking with Him, through reading of His Word, the Word of God, and then tune your heart to hear His Spirit so that we understand, Lord, when you speak, I need to have ears to hear so that I can act. Tune your ears your ears and your eyes to see what God is doing. And then lastly, prepare yourself for a significant life. Now when I say significant, I don't mean necessarily always exciting. Most of life is lived in the mundane. But everything is significant. Every breath we take, every conversation we have, everything we serve, everything we touch has significance. Because God has already gone before us. He's called us to be men and women of significance as we walk with Him, as we hear Him, as we seek Him, and seek opportunities to give our lives away. Do you have a heart and a mindset of abundance or of scarcity? Live an abundant life, a generous life. And your time and your treasure and your talents. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for these men and women. Thank you for all the opportunities and all the times where they've served us. I've seen your name be made great in my family because many of the folks in this room have served us and used the time and the talents and the treasures of their life to bless us. Father, I pray that in this community, not that Grace Fellowship name would be made great. That's not what you've called us to do. But Lord, I pray that you would make us great so that we can give our lives away. Father, make your name great through our fellowship as we relate to one another, as we relate to those in our community. And as good stewards, as good children, we live lives of generosity. In Jesus' name.